in your Bible, if you would. Mark chapter 14. The pastor wanted a break tonight from all his golfing this week and uh, all his hanging out this week. So uh, he asked one of us to fill in for him. That was a joke. He's not been golfing all week. That was Brother Nate that's been golfing all week. <laughs> Mark chapter 14. And we're all the way down to verse number 26. It's good to see you tonight. Uh, it's, good to see, it's good to have the fall weather. I walked through the buildings on the way over here, and I forgot I wasn't going to sweat when I walked through the buildings for five seconds between the buildings. And so it's a great... Uh, uh, you know you're in Mississippi, though, uh, when the school kids, uh, as they were walking through the, uh, between the buildings this afternoon or this morning for school chapel, some of them came out, and they started shivering. Like, oh, it's so cold. And I heard one of them go, is it going to snow? And I made a point to look at my phone. I said, what is the weather? And it's 66 degrees. And so you know you're in Mississippi when the school kids think it's going to snow when it's 66 degrees. Uh, but it is nice not to, uh, not to be in summertime anymore. Uh, and it's been a, it's been a great day uh, already. I do want to preface this also by saying I've been at school all day, and I've had a rough day. Those kids in my classes, I don't know what I taught them today. I've been saying the wrong words, calling the wrong people the wrong names. And so whatever I say tonight, uh, we, we might need to strike it from the record. Uh, if there's any false doctrine preached, uh, you know, just uh, you can let me know after church and uh, I'll renounce any of that. Uh, but uh, I'm not responsible for what I say tonight. I've just had a bad, I haven't felt bad. I've just had a bad, you ever have one of those days you can't get the words out? Uh, that's been the day for me. So, and then they asked me to preach. So hold on. Uh, <laughs> that, that'll keep you paying attention all night for sure. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 26. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives and Jesus saith unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time together. Thank you for Wednesday night church and uh, the opportunity to open your word. Uh, Lord, speak to us uh, through your word tonight. Uh, be with those uh, kids that are uh, in a different service at Master Club. We ask that you would uh, help them as they're memorizing and learning. And uh, let those things uh, not return void. And uh, we'll just thank you. Give us something from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know you know the answer to this, but has anybody ever broken a promise to you? Have you ever been the promise breaker? Uh, we're about to read one of the most infamous ones, but I thought it would be fun to look up what our politicians do because we all know their mouth is moving, and uh, when their mouth is moving, they are probably breaking a promise to us. Uh, of, of the last of recent American history, some of the big blunders, some of the big promises of presidents past here, Woodrow Wilson said in 1916, he ran on re-election for 1916 with the slogan, he kept us out of the war. And World War I, we entered a year later. Uh, that didn't work out. Lyndon Johnson said, we're not going to send American boys nine or 10,000 miles away from home to do what Asian boys ought to be doing for themselves. And then we entered the Vietnam War. Uh, it puts it as a side note here, Johnson did not seek re-election. Uh, Richard Nixon claimed to have a plan to end the war. The war didn't end until after he resigned. 
Uh, maybe he wasn't planning on resigning, but he got caught, I guess. Uh, George H.W. Bush, you know this if you were alive. I have to say, if you were alive now, half the people in the audience don't remember September 11th. Uh, some of them weren't alive or they were in diapers. We have school kids now. They, don't, they, weren't even, they weren't even around. And I always protest, I'm not that old. But uh, most of us, many of us will remember this one. George H.W. Bush, you could finish it. Read my lips. No new taxes until he raised taxes. Bill Clinton promised Hillary care. That didn't go through. He also promised other things he didn't do that he did. George W. Bush planned to privatize Social Security. He didn't get that done. Barack Obama said you could keep your doctor. There you go. The people have spoken. <laughs> Donald Trump said we'll build the wall. Mexico's going to pay for it. Biden said Afghanistan wasn't going to look like Vietnam. Uh, well, we've been lied to, haven't we? Let's revolt. Let's storm the Capitol. No, strike that from the record. That was one of those things. <laughs> that was not in my notes. I'm on the list now with Brother Jeremiah. Oh, my goodness. We got to stop live streaming. I forgot that actually happened. <laughs> we, have, we have folks that have broken promises to us, but here we have Peter. We know the story in Mark chapter 14. Pick up the verse in verse number 53, Mark chapter 14, and in verse 53, and they led Jesus away to, where the high uh, to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even unto the palace of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Uh, Peter is now following Jesus uh, going into the background of the story, Jesus is on his way to the cross. Just right before the passage we read, he has now instituted the Lord's Supper. They are meeting for the Passover. They are doing all the feasts. All the folks are there at Jerusalem. It's a big time, no doubt. And Jesus knows what he's about to go through, and he institutes the Last Supper. Uh, we're not celebrating the Passover today because now we celebrate that Lord's Supper. We celebrate that time where Jesus, before he is now crucified, is, is showing them this is the pattern. This is what I want you to do. In remembrance of me, I'm about to go, and I'm about to go to the cross, and I want you to remember me at this table. Uh, he's instituted the Lord's Supper. He's becoming very heavy at this point. And uh, again, before this passage, we just read uh, in uh, the 40s and 50s verses there, Jesus goes uh, to be betrayed. He goes to Gethsemane, uh, and he is, he, is, he is walking to the cross in the heaviness that is in Jesus' heart and in his mind and in his life. He knows the, the, the very thing that he was created for, he's walking to. Somebody said the greatest sacrifice was deity dying for us. And the greatest betrayal here, Judas gives him up with a kiss. And Peter denies him. Deity is dying while humanity is conniving still in our own selfishness. They don't realize what's going on. And Christ is going to the cross. And he tells Peter and tells the disciples in the verse we read in the introduction, you're going to deny me. You're, you're going to betray me. You're going you're to give me up. And Peter says, not me, though everybody is going to. I'm not going to. And all the disciples agree, not me, Lord. But, but for sure, Peter, he made, and the Lord says, before the, before the rooster crows, before the cock crows, and Peter says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Peter had a problem with telling the Lord what he was going to do. You know, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. You don't say not so to the Lord. It's kind of one of the rules. Lord, I'm not going to do that. Peter, yes, you are. No, I'm not going to do that. And Peter, in his self-confidence, determines that he's not going to deny the Lord. And, of course, 
we get into the story. Skip on down again to verse number 66. We're talking about Peter's denial and his subsequent restoration. But in verse number 66, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked, uh, she looked upon him and said, And thou, was, uh, thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither under, understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. Uh, if you've been around chickens or roosters, you know they just, when you first get them, they're annoying. And then after a while, it just, I don't think Peter, Peter even heard that. I was, uh, we were dating long distance uh, bef- uh, just, just months before we got married. And uh, I decided I probably ought to know this girl a little bit more before I ask her to marry me. <laughs> so uh, we were long distance for a while. Of course, we were in college uh, before that. And uh, we were working. And, you know, you're in college going to school and work. You don't see each other that much. And you're trying to talk on the phone. And then finally, we were long distance. And finally, I was down in Louisiana. Rachel was up, in, uh, uh, up near her parents, uh, finished in school. And she started working at her parents uh, at her dad's church there for a little while. And so I had moved up there to work with some friends just, just to, to be closer to her. And uh, I would drive all night, uh, the stupid things we did for love, uh, I would drive all night after working till like midnight one, and we'd drive several hours, I would drive several hours to her house, get there about three or four in the morning, and uh, parents and Rachel would be, hey, good to see you, we'd talk for a few minutes, and then I'd, I'd say, I gotta sleep, I can't keep my eyes open, so I'd sleep, and sure enough, like an hour later, here this rooster comes, they had chickens, and they had a rooster, and here this rooster is, and he always found my window, and I'm in bed asleep, and I'm just, I'm just, you know how it is, you just get into that deep sleep, and here this rooster gets to going. I mean, the, the sun's not even coming up yet. He's already going. He's getting warmed up. And I would tell her about it every time, I'm going to shoot that thing. I'm going to wring his neck uh, next time I come. He would just go and go and go. After a while, though, throughout the day, you kind of get used to it. Now, we know the Lord is telling the truth here, but at the same time, Peter, I think if he'd have heard that first one, he'd have, he'd have been on notice. Whoa. I can't do that anymore. I remember what the Lord said. But he doesn't even remember. The cock crew in verse number 68, he doesn't even know it. He doesn't remember, probably doesn't even recognize it. In verse 69, and a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. A little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crew twice. Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. If we turn a page back, do you remember what we just said? Peter in verse number 31 was saying, but he spake the the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Here self-confidence rears its ugly head. And Jesus says, stop. Yes, you are. Peter says, I'm never going to deny you, Lord. I don't think he was insincere, for sure. He was, he was a very sincere person. He was a very sincere man. But what Jesus said was right, and Peter realizes it in verse 72, and he hears it again, he hears the rooster, and he goes out and weeps. Um, the story is about Peter, but we, you and I can put ourselves in, in his shoes very easily, can't we? Think about these times you've denied him. Um, you know, maybe you've not said it with your words. Maybe you have. You know, God forbid, but somebody asks us if we're a Christian and we cower away. You're like, well, you know, that's my wife's thing. Well, I hope we're not a teenager and somebody asks us about our Christian school and we go, well, that's what my parents make me do. 
It's not my thing, though. Have you ever had a time where you're living carnally a little bit and you're just not, you're kind of cold toward God and the word of God and somebody, somebody asks you a question or somebody comes to you with religion or Jesus or Christ and you just don't feel like you're, you're just not in the mood and so you just kind of blow it off like, well, don't worry, you know. Maybe you say something where Brother AJ was mentioning some things where he worked in the world and what some coworkers would say uh, today in, in school chapel and he mentioned that. And coworkers workers will realize you're a Christian. And they'll ask you. And here Peter is asked, hey, you're with Jesus, right? And he goes, no, not me. Have you done that? I know I've done that. Maybe we've not denied him with our words. Have you done this, though? You, 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 you see somebody there, the Holy Spirit says, go talk to him. And you go, no, I'm busy. <laughs> or no, I'm embarrassed. Or no, I don't want to. And the Holy Spirit says, talk to them. Invite them to church. There's a track. Go pass it out. And you go, I don't want to, though. And you find every excuse. Now we didn't say it. We didn't say the words denying Jesus, but we didn't act on his impulse. Because why? We were scared to profess our Christianity. And we give Peter a hard time, but we kind of do the same things, don't we? What else do we do when we deny him? We participate with the world. We listen to the music. We watch their movies. We do everything the world does. We blend right in. And when they see us, we're doing the same thing Peter does here. We're by the sinners, by the sinners' fire, with the sinners. And when the sinners ask us, we didn't, well, I'm, not, I'm not part of that crowd. Look how I'm dressed. I'm dressed like you. I'm listening to what you listen to. I, I, I talk how you talk. Peter starts cursing and swearing here just to, just to drive home the point. And again, I think we get on to him a lot of times. But maybe we're participating in the world, with the world. Maybe we're just embarrassed about our way of life. The neighbors see us go to church. Or maybe we, maybe we don't talk, like to recognize. Why would we do that? We know what Christ has done for us. Peter knows what Christ has done for him. He's seen those miracles. But it's just a picture of how frail and how weak we are. Boy, after we finish revival, I'm ready to go, right? After we finish church, I can get out of here and I can be on fire for the Lord. But it doesn't take too long for that fire to wane. And I get out in the world and so many times I deny him. Here in this instance, it's peer pressure. Now, let's be, we'll be clear about it. You know, Jesus is about to go die. And Peter's no doubt afraid for his life. You know, if they lump me in with him and they're crucifying him, they're, they're trying him, they're going to bring me in there too. So we give Peter a hard time, but peer pressure gets to him, but it gets to us, and we're not on trial. We're not seeing a friend get taken away for what he believes or what we believe. Just a girl, just a maid, just a young woman scares Peter, one of the great apostles. We, Peter, James, and John, I mean, those are the big three. And Peter denies Christ. Because a young woman, a young girl, comes up and asks him, aren't you with him? You know, does the world ask that of us? And are we afraid to say yes? Boy, God help us. Well, we've seen what Jesus, Peter had seen what Jesus has done. And we've seen what Christ has done for us. And so many times we deny him. In Luke 22, we won't turn there, but in that passage, it relays the same story. But in this story that Luke writes, when, when the cock crows, and Peter realizes what he's done. He looks over and Christ and Peter's eyes meet. He sees Jesus. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine being Peter? And it hits you. What, Christ, what he said came to pass. And Jesus looks. Most folks, and I would probably agree, most folks believe it wasn't a look of judgment, but it was a look of compassion. And that's usually what Christ does. He sees us in our sin. He's not, he's not trying to judge us, but he looks on us compassionately. He says, I told you. I told you to stay away from that. I told you what was going to happen. You should have trusted me. Your pride got in the way. I can't imagine that look. I've had that look from my parents before, you know. I grew up in church. 
And uh, I remember my parents, we used to have choir, we didn't have a choir room. We sat, the, the choir sat up here in practice. So Sunday afternoons, everybody met up here and all the kids sat out there. And so we were on like, they could see us. We couldn't get away with anything. We had to like duck under the pews and crawl over and uh, crawl through and find our friends or whatever we were doing. And uh, one time, apparently we were being a little bit too loud. I say we, I think I was. And uh, my mom was up here sitting near the altos between the altos and tenors. And the whole choir's up there. We're in a church, and there's several folks now starting to mill around and come in for church that night. And mom just goes, you know, and I, I don't like that. I, I, I didn't like being in front of people. I didn't like being embarrassed. All you had to do, I was the one, you just had to look at me, and I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm straightened up. I'm good. You know, I didn't have to get beat 5,000 times like some of us did. <laughs> and so all it was was that look, and mom just said, and I said, no. And in my mind, I promise I'll be good. I promise I'll be good. I promise I'll be good. Do not make me come up there. Do not make me come up there. And she kept going. I'm, I'm not coming. I'll take the beating when I get home. I am not walking up in front of all those people and getting yelled at in front of the choir. I can remember sitting in church and dad, you know, especially we talked about the Lord's Supper. I can remember sitting down the road and here was dad and, you know, oldest to youngest, I guess. And I was, I was on the end. And uh, again, again, just maybe acting up or, or talking in church. And I can remember especially the Lord's, Lord's Supper because that's a time we don't talk. You know, we were taught that. We don't talk. We don't play around. This is a very important thing. And here I am being a kid in church. And, you know, dad just leans over and looks down. And, uh, you know, I'm straightening it up. I've gotten that look from my parents. You've gotten that look from your parents. Sometimes it's a look of, you better stop it or I'm going to kill you when we get home. We all have that look. And when you're parents, you just, you get that look about you. You don't grow up with it. But once you have kids, it just, it naturally comes. I'm going to kill you. And uh, you don't have to say anything. I just know I'm going to get killed when I get home. And uh, you're trying to, on the car ride home, distract them and remind them of other things and talk about the school week. And they, they always seem to remember. But can you imagine getting that look from the Savior, though? Uh, not of, I'm going to get you. I don't think Christ was looking that way. I think it was just in disappointment. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you after you had just sinned, after you had just made a mistake? And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. Thank God the story does not end there. Peter denies him. Peter realizes what he did. He runs out. He weeps. He repents. He comes to, he comes to grips with what he did and his sin. The story doesn't end there. And thank God the Lord wants to restore us. He came to seek and to save, not to judge and to kill. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that they might have life they might have it more abundantly. Sometimes we put Jesus in the kill and destroy. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Now, I know we said that with our parents. Sometimes we did that. Sometimes we as parents do that. I'm going to kill you. Sometimes it's the look. Sometimes we actually say it. I am going to kill you if you do that again. But we put Christ on our level. And Jesus Christ did not come to steal and to kill and destroy. He did not come to kill me in my sin. He came to save me from my sin. Turn to John chapter 21. The story doesn't end there. If it did, it would be awful. But I'm glad God put stories like this in the Bible because it makes me feel better. When I mess up, I know there's hope. Is it any wonder Peter wrote so much about hope and the living hope? We still have hope in our sin. We still have hope when we've messed up. Have you denied him? Do you deny him? Are you willingly just, are you kind of embarrassed to be in church or be a Christian? Do you go out in the world and act differently than you do in this building? If you do, that's a problem. That's a denial of your faith. That's a denial of who you are. Peter did it, and he did it with his words. John chapter 21, the gospel is now finished. 
Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's risen. Peter has denied. And they've, they've seen Christ now a couple of times here. And here's the story. Judas runs away and, and hangs himself. But here in John 21, Peter comes back to the Lord. You know, where's repentance versus just feeling sorry when you come back to the Lord? What did Judas do? He felt sorry. I mean, Judas gave the money back, didn't he? he I mean, he said, I, I shouldn't have done this. He felt sorry. He confessed what he did. He felt bad, but he never fully came, came to Christ. Peter felt bad. Peter went out and wept bitterly, but now we're going to see restoration. Thank God for restoration. If you don't need it, at least I know I need it. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm glad that the Lord is coming to restore. We're at the Sea of Tiberias here in verse number. Well, just pick up there in verse number one. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. That's just Galilee. And on this wise, he showed, him, uh, showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his uh, disciples. <laughs> I heard a preacher say this. This was a convention of the problem children. <laughs> I like I could fit there. I like that. Peter. Peter was there. He was impulsive and impetuous. He just denied Christ. Look at all these problem children. Thomas, he was a skeptic. <laughs> Somebody said he had a question mark for a brain. Nathaniel was a doubter. Nathaniel was the one that said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, he was the one doubting Jesus from the get-go. James and John, they were the ones arguing about being first. Christ is on the road to the cross. And what are James and John arguing about? You know, Mom, go talk to Jesus for us. Can, you, can, we, can, we, can we sit at the right hand of the Father? Can we, sit, can we make sure we're in heaven at the prime seats? Jesus is about to go get crucified, and James and John are in their pride. And then uh, the, the end of verse number two says, two other of his disciples. doesn't say that. It uh, doesn't say who that is. But we have several apostles here. And in verse number three, Simon Peter saith unto, him, unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. You know, if, if we look at this story in a little bit of typology or a little bit of allegory, it, it kind of shows what we do without the Lord. We go fishing, and at the end of verse number three, what do they catch? Nothing. The Lord's not there. Peter's been in denial about his knowledge of the Lord and, and being with him. They go out, and they go out doing what they know to do best. These guys didn't, they knew how to catch fish. That was their living. If they didn't know, they would have starved. They knew the technique. They knew where to go when the fish were biting, and they went out. Uh, they went out to catch nothing. Again, when we try to live the Christian life, Without the Christ of the Christian life, we will return fruitless. Have you ever tried to profess Christianity, but you've been denying him in reality? I mean, Peter didn't. They go out fishing, but they're fruitless. Why? Christ isn't there. Look at verse 4. Let's keep going. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And other, uh, the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon. Now watch this. 
Where did Peter deny Jesus? At the sinner's fire. And what does Jesus give him an opportunity to do? Come back to the fire. Verse number 10. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three, for all there were so many, yet there was, uh, yet was not the net broken. In Luke 5, we have a similar story, but a different result. The net did break. In Luke 5, remember, cast your, go, go out, launch out into the deep and cast your nets. But Lord, we've been going all night. Peter, go. So what do they do? They do it. And they bring this huge draught of fish. And what happens in Luke 5? The net break, the Bible says. What is that a picture of? Again, we're looking a little bit of uh, in, in an allegory here, if we could, for a second. Christ had not yet died and risen again. The gospel had not been complete. The gospel is a picture of the net. We are trying to win, and, and, and the gospel wins us. The gospel net brings us in. But when the gospel is not preached clearly, when the gospel was not fulfilled in this instance, the net's going to fail. It's a, it's a story for us to keep, keep the gospel clear, keep it right. But if we have the gospel, it won't break. At this point in John, Jesus had died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was risen again. Paul said that's the gospel right there. And at the end of John, he had died, he'd been buried, he'd risen again. Luke 5, he had not done that yet, but now he has, and the gospel net does not break. In verse number, it's interesting that it says that. At the end of verse number 11, the net was not broken. It's a, it's a picture for us that the gospel still has power, and the gospel won't break if we're using it. The net's the gospel, and that's strong. In Luke 5, it didn't happen that way. What does the gospel do? It saves us from sin. What does the gospel do? It holds you. When you're saved, the gospel not only saves you, but thank God it holds you. There are some that believe you get saved, but you better hold on. Gospel doesn't just save you at the moment of salvation. It holds you till the end. And then not only that, for Peter and for me and maybe for you, it keeps you in your failure. Peter's kept even in his failure. I'm so glad that when I sin, I don't lose it. I'm so glad that when I sin, we always take people to John 9 and 10 to talk about how he'll hold us in, in his hands when we're saved. Thank God that when we, we get saved, we have the assurance that he will hold us. And then even when we sin, he will hold us. Does that negate the fact that we should sin and we're good to be free? No, Paul said, God forbid. But when I stumble and when I fail, thank God the gospel is complete. It saves me. It holds me. And not only that, it keeps me in my failure. And in 1 Peter, 5, 1 Peter 1, Peter's the one that says we are kept by the power of God. It's interesting. Maybe he was thinking about that net. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. Verse number 12. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. Now, I've got to be honest. If this was me, and you denied me, and you left me out to die, you left me out to be imprisoned, you left me out to be tortured and killed, I'd have said, you're not my friend anymore. You can head on to the other side of the sea. Peter, get out. If that was you and I, you betray me, you deny me, you left me out all by myself all night to be beaten and killed. I would have said, you're dead, get out, you're dead to me. I don't want to hear from you anymore. I'll talk to these other guys. You're the one that said you wouldn't deny me, but what does Jesus do? He says, come and dine. He builds a fire and says, come and dine. Is there anything better than having somebody over to eat? Especially when you got to talk. What do we do after church? Sometimes we'll get to hanging around after church, and one of us finally says, shouldn't we just go eat something and do this? <laughs> and all God's people said amen. 
Uh, what do we do as Baptists? I mean, if it's been a week or two without food, we're like, let's have a party. Go throw the gym open. Somebody bring food. Let's eat. Why? I don't know. We're eating. Let's eat something. Christ not only is worried about his spiritual condition, but he, he, kind, of, he kind of wraps it in that physical. You, I mean, you, you need to meet your physical needs, too. Come and dine. I think it was Carl Hatch years ago. I can remember this. sitting in church years ago, and uh, he preached a sermon just on the word come. And he preached a sermon on that being one of the sweetest words in all of Scripture. Come unto me, all you that labor. When Jesus Christ says come, is there not a better passage? Is there not a better word from Christ to say to us come? And in verse number 12, he says that Jesus said to them, come and dine. Not leave, not I hate you, not get out, not I gave you a chance. I told you and I gave you a chance and you still denied me, get out. And thank God he doesn't do that to us too. He says, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. Uh, the Bible says right there the third time. We've seen Peter's denial. Now we're looking at his restoration. It says the third time. That three, the Bible always uses those numbers, okay? And that three always talks, speaks of completion. Peter completely denied him three times. Jesus comes to his disciples again now the third time. And what does he offer him to do three times? Verse 15. So when he had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And there's the question. Now, if we need to put ourselves in the shoes of Peter and his denial, let's put ourselves in the shoes of Peter now and look into the face of Christ when he asks you and I that same question. Do you love me? And what's your answer? Because realize it's Jesus Christ and he knows whether it's true or not. He's Have you been guilty before? And you've been around someone you wronged and it wasn't right yet. And you couldn't think of anything but the thing that you did. And you couldn't think about the food and you couldn't think about the... the, the and you finally just had to sit down and say, we got to get this right because I can't take it anymore. Again, how much more Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and King of kings, and Peter had done him wrong. Peter had just given him up. He denied him. They all forsook him and fled. And now Jesus doesn't say, go away. He says, come here. I don't want to come here. I don't want to see you. It hurts. My guilty conscience. I don't want to sit in front of you facing that guilt. And Jesus finally gets down to it. He feeds him. Peter's full. They've been working all night. Now it's morning. They've been fishing, fishing, fishing. They are tired. Now he has fed his physical body. Now, now Jesus turns to his spiritual man and says, okay, Peter, let's fix it. Let's get down to it. Let's, let's get to the root of the problem. Do you love me? Can you, ask your, can, can you listen to the question of Christ to Peter and apply it to yourself tonight? Do you love him? Now, you can lie to me, and you can lie to your wife and husband and kids and family. You can put on the show, but Christ is looking at you, and he can see right to your heart and your, your soul. Do you love me? What's your answer? What's my answer? What does Peter answer? He saith, he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him again, uh, unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? 
Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? Can I get a witness from the husbands in the room? I told you I love you. <laughs> Do you love me? Yes, I told you I love you. It's the man that says, I told you I loved you when I got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. That doesn't work sometimes. But Peter's grieved, I told you. Sometimes we ask the Lord questions. We do the same thing to the Lord. Maybe our spouse, maybe someone else. We ask the same question. We want the answer. We want it maybe stronger. I don't know. But here, Peter's grieved, and the Lord is proving his point. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. It's interesting when you, when you translate, do the translating, the, the Lord is using the word agape love. And we know that's that deep abiding set high esteem. It doesn't matter what comes. Love is love. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not affectionate. It is love in the deepest way possible. It is love like I will never leave you no matter what happens. The Lord is asking him, do you agape love me? And Peter answers back, I phileo love you. In our vernacular, I'm fond of you. Again, try that with your wife. Do you love me? <laughs> I'm fond of you. I'll keep you around. But Peter answers, not in agape, but in phileo. I have affection towards you. Peter, but do you agape love me? Lord, I have feelings for you. The third time, the Lord drops down to his level and asks him, do you phileo? Love me. I think the Lord kind of brings it down to Peter, almost like it's okay. Now, why would Peter not? Why would not? Why would Peter not profess this? Well, just a few pages ago, he already did that, right? Lord, I'll never. I think he was a little gun shy. I'm not doing that again. Can you imagine? He's the one asking you. I, and now he's asking me face to face. I told him I'll never deny you, and he said, "Yes, you will." No, I won't. All these other, all eleven others, but not me. Now the Lord's saying again, do you love me? And Peter's going, man, <laughs> I've done this before. Yeah, I mean, I'm good with you. I like you. We're okay. No, no, Peter, do you love me? Jesus is proving a point. Not only that, thank God, Jesus gives him a chance to three times profess his love after three times denying him. That three is, is, is completion. We said that. Think of the threes in the Bible. God is of three, right? Father, Son, Spirit. We're made body, soul, spirit. We're made a complete man as body, soul, spirit. Completely in the tomb for three days and three nights. So was Jonah, so was Jesus. Jesus was in the tomb. Jonah was in the belly of the whale. For the three crosses, that's all of humanity. You have the one man, the God man in the middle. You have the saved man who's trusted Christ, and you have the lost man. There's no, that's complete humanity. There's one saved, there's one lost, and there's one who's the God man who came to be the propitiation. But in this instance, we have three rejections. Peter completely turns his back on Christ. I don't know him. Stop asking. I'm not with him. He curses and he swears and he tries to get rid of his language. I just, I, I don't want to anything. He completely rejects. Now Jesus gives him a chance to completely restore. Isn't that great? He doesn't throw me out. He says, come and dine. When I treat him wrongly, he still says, come here. Sit down. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you physically. Now let's take care of your spiritual needs. Jesus asked him three times. Peter answers three times. Not only that, at the end of each one, he says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Not only does he completely get restoration, now Peter is given the complete commission. 
Okay, now that you're, I know you love me. Now that you've made restoration for denying me, now it's time to go tell somebody else. Now it's time to go take care of the people. See, sometimes, and this is a staff problem because I'm on staff and I know all the deep, dark secrets. Sometimes you go feed the sheep and feed the sheep and the Lord's standing back going, but what, do you love me though? But Lord, I sing in the, I sing in the choir, like I lead the song. Did you hear the words I sang? But it, yeah, but do you love me? But Lord, we go out visiting, we go out, we, we passed out tracks. Yeah, but do you love me? See, we kind of get it backwards. We're chasing the commission and the Lord says, no, you gotta start with love. You've been denying me all week and you're just showing everybody else you're, you're about the function of Christianity. But do you love me? Maybe our witness, maybe that embarrassment, maybe that denial of Christ wouldn't happen if we got alone with him, sat by the fire, and reminded ourselves and reminded him, we love, we love you. I love you. Maybe we're not being restored. Maybe we're not seeing fruit because we're not loving the Lord like we should. It's not hard to witness when I love the Lord. It's not hard to tell people about my wife when we're in love. Now, when we had a fight that day, I don't want to talk about it. When I'm not right with the Lord, I don't want to talk about him. I don't want to give the gospel, but he gives Peter a chance to restore. Thank God he's in the restoration. Peter denies. He gets three chances to deny. He gets three chances to restore. He has a chance to affirm. (laughs) This just happened recently. Our kids... You know, we're raising kids, and then I'm in school with kids all day, and every now and then something comes up. Did you do it? And they're going, um, um, and their eyes start wandering. Like, I'm, I'm finding an excuse somewhere. Somebody give me an excuse. And I had one of ours, and uh, what happened? And they're, there's a this mumble. Tell Daddy what happened. What? Tell me what happened. I'm in their level, my ears in their mouth. You're going to have to talk. Why? Because we don't want to admit. We don't want to confess what we did. I can see Peter at the fire. Do you love me? Lord, just, I don't want to talk about it. Get off my back. Maybe he's mumbling. Yeah, whatever. I, I feel, yeah, I love you. But he gets a chance to have that confession. So, later on, weeks later now, Peter in Acts chapter 2 This is like six weeks later. This is just not even two months later. Peter stands up in front of those thousands of people and begins preaching and cloven tongues of fire and he's speaking in tongues. And he has the audacity to say, the Christ that you crucified and killed, he died for you and you better trust him. You better believe. You better repent of all your sin. Isn't it great when we get restoration, we get confidence to go back about his business? Boy, could the pastor stand here with his guilty conscience and preach each week without having restoration, man, it's hard. It's hard to get up here when things aren't right. It's hard to stand in front of people and talk about the Bible and talk about preaching and and, and do those types of things when you're not right. And Peter gets a chance not only to be restored, but he gets to see lives change and 3,000. Can you imagine that church service? Can you imagine Sunday morning, 3,000 folks pouring through auditorium getting saved, and then getting baptized. The pastor's back would be out after that service, baptizing so many people. God gets to let, not, not only does he forgive us in our denying him, not only does he give us a chance for restoration, but he gives us a commission to go out and win others to Christ and go out and show everybody else what I did for you. And I don't go out pompous and arrogant. I go out going, 
I'm just like you. I was a sinner just like you, and he forgave me. He'll forgive you too. Come get saved. Come trust Christ. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a story about Peter. It's a story about God. It's a story about what God does for us, his long-suffering nature, his mercy to you and I. He brought Peter back to a fire, just like the fire he denied him with. He brought Peter back and met his physical needs. He brought Peter and sat him down, gave him the opportunity to confess three times after a three-time denial. He brought Peter back and gave him three commission. Three times he gave him the commission, go. Now that you're right with me, now that you love me, now that we're good, go. So what part of that process are you in? Are you in the denial stage? You're still just kind of doing the church thing, but you're not really living for the Lord. You might not be denying him with your words, but are you denying him with your life? Maybe you're in need for restoration. Listen, the Lord's sitting there. The Lord's making the fire. He's not running from you. The Lord didn't get on the boat and go to the other side. The Lord's calling you. Come on. Whatever Satan is telling you, it's a lie. The Lord doesn't hate you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't want to judge you. He wants restoration more than you ever could want restoration. If you're putting it off, go, go to the shore and sit at the fire. Get fed and get restored. Maybe we're restored. Well, the next step is to go. Feed my sheep. Let's go take care of others. Let's go win others. How do we show love as the church? We show it to each other. I can't, I, can't give God, I can't give God my money directly. I can't do, but I can do for others. We show other unbelievers how to be saved. We show church members the love that Christ has showed us. It's not a story of Peter. It's a story of Christ. It's a story of a gracious God that loves us. Are you denying? Let's get right about that. Come to the fire. Do you need confession? Do you need repentance? Don't just be sorry. Judas was sorry. Don't just be sorry. Repent. Come to him. And then once you come to him and you're restored, Let's go win the world to Christ. Let's go give others the gospel that we've heard. Let's pray and we'll stand to our feet. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time together. Thank you for our church.